0: Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where
1: we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitfer. Here with my wonderful co-host, Maria Velasquez. And today we are so excited because we have another super special guest. We have Charles Gold, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of Threat Connect. Hi, Charles.
2: Hey, Gianna. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, we are so excited to have you on. You are a longtime member of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. You and Arpine, who's also a VP of Demand Gen at Threat Connect, run our Benchmark Funnel Working Group, and I just—we just think you're brilliant.
2: Well, I've got you of then. So it's a good place <laughs> to start the podcast.
1: Actually, I remember being us, you and I, Gianna, being so excited when you joined the society. I think we were like DMing each other like, oh my God, that's so <laughs> <laughs> Well,
2: that's that's really cool and kind of odd to hear, but that's awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're so, you know, you're very humble, Charles. All right, everyone. If you're looking to generate quality cybersecurity leads and opportunity pipeline for your sales team, Webinars are the channel you need to be leveraging. Lead Gen webinars bring you real live audiences in your target ICP with engagement you can measure, something other channels just can't match. Actual Tech, an official lead generation partner of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, specializes in fully turnkey cybersecurity webinar programs with CPLs far below what you're used to. Everyone, I have spent a lot of money on webinars and lead generation in the past. And I gotta say, I was really impressed with Actual Tech. I saw the results of those webinars that they've been running for cybersecurity audiences, and I was impressed with the lead quality and the lead quantity. So visit actualtechmedia.com backslash CMS or hit today's show notes for more information. So, Charles, tell us, you know, you've been a CMO at several security companies and security is an interesting industry. Tell us about your story. How did you get into this crazy world and how did you rise up to become CMO at a security company?
2: So, I've been doing this a really long time. <laughs> this is my 4th CMO gig in cyber, but I've been running a global marketing organizations since a really long time ago, <laughs> since 2004, and so I, I started like I didn't study marketing in college or in grad school. I ended up way back in the dark era when dinosaurs roamed the earth, starting a tech company in the in the dot com boom, and with some some people. And once we sold that company, like I was a tech guy and I sort of was a founder, but didn't really have any actual skills and. I like was like good at like organizing things. I understood product. And so somebody said, you should be a product manager. And so I became product manager and I decided I liked outbound communications more than I liked inbound product management. So I became product marketing. And then from product marketing, someone said, you should run marketing organizations. And so I did that. And from there, I've just had, had a series of VP jobs and then a series of CMO jobs, all in infrastructure kind of stuff. Or in security kind of stuff. So I understand I'm, I'm more technical than your average CMO, probably, because I've done everything. Like I was at Red Hat in the early days doing operating systems and I've done data access middleware and I've done a bunch of security stuff. So it's never the like the sexy front end stuff. It's always the stuff that makes it work or the stuff that makes it secure. And, you know, once I kind of discovered cyber, I thought it was a really interesting dimension of technology. And so I've just kind of stuck with it. I haven't really wanted to veer, veer away since I started at Sonotype in 2010.
1: Love that. I feel like that's unicorn status, really, when you have the technical knowledge and skill set, but really the true technical, right? You were a practitioner. You were an actual product manager. You owned that part of the business and then moved over to marketing. You are armed with skill set and experience that not a lot of CMOs in our industry.
2: I just feel like, and maybe this is just the path that I've been along, so I feel like it's a good path, but if you really are technical enough to understand what the product does and how people use it, you you don't need to be engineering level technical, but to, to really have that understanding, it helps you communicate with the product organization, with engineering, to have credibility with customers, and if you don't have it, I just feel like it's it's really limiting when you're when you're marketing a technical product to a technical audience, which is what we do. It's a handicap if you're not at least somewhat technical and somewhat willing to, you know, sort of endure the lectures to understand. You know, it, it puts you at a disadvantage.
1: Love that. What are those lectures? If you were to think of one or two resources or lectures where a novice marketer could go to, to learn.
2: Honestly, I think it's very company specific. And so, you know, my advice always would be spend time with a product organization, spend time with the sales engineers, have them educate you, ask good questions, take lots of notes, and they'll appreciate being listened to from marketing, Right. Cause there is nothing a technical founder or a head of product hates more than seeing a message out there and they're like, That's not what we do. Ah, oh boy. <laughs> right. You know, or yeah, you got it kinda sorta right. So, you know, they'll appreciate, look, before we put any messaging out in the market, I really want to understand better. They're in my experience has been those kind of folks are always willing to spend time.
0: Makes sense. So, Charles, you also said that you were a founder. What, tell us about, because Marie and I are founders here too, tell us, what was this company, this dot-com era company
2: you founded? So it's like, like when I tell you this story, you're going to be like, that's actually a thing, or that was a thing. But like you have to put yourself in 1994, right? Because this is when I did this. I was right out of grad school. There was no internet popularly used really at that time. Most people used like proprietary online services like AOL.
1: AOL. Oh, yeah, I remember.
2: Yeah. And so I was working, I was actually working in finance at the time. And a couple of the guys I was working with and I were, look, we were using AOL for email and we were looking at it. We said, you know, what would be really useful is if this thing could like tell us information we would use in our regular lives. Like I want to go to a movie. What time is it playing? and where is it playing. Or oh my gosh. I AI. Did, <laughs> I want like or I want like I want to see a specific movie, like where is it? And like I want to go I want to go out for Thai food as well. So like what's nearby? The theater that's playing the movie I want to see. So we built this thing. It was called City Links and it was basically a online content service, very localized that would allow you to have a movie guide, a shopping guide, a dining guide. And then we published all of this on AOL and AOL actually built a product around it called Digital City, which some people remember, which was like their, their city guides. And we provided all the back end for shopping, movies and dining. Right. And so we started in D.C. and we did Boston. And after that point, AOL actually bought the business.
1: Oh, that's really cool. But it
2: was like, you know, like you have to like people are like, wait a minute, that isn't that wasn't just a thing that was out there. But, like, we were competing with a product called City Search that a lot of people know. And Elon Musk had a product in that space. I can't remember what it was called.
0: You went head-to-head with Elon Musk? Yeah. I mean... Wow. A
2: thousand years ago. (laughs) But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I didn't know anything about anything. I just, like, me and these few people, there was me and there were three other partners, thought this was a good idea. And we built this little company. And, like, you know, I mean, I, like wrote some of the code on some of the some of the like we built like the business model was we sold advertising to local merchants so like have you ever been to legal seafoods restaurant like yeah so like i i hand coded their first website like in 94 right like with my little ide and like all that kind of stuff so like it was a really fun experience wouldn't trade it for anything didn't make any real money on it but it was fun
0: that is, that is so fun. And now we, at the end of the show, when we play the game where we guess what you would be doing with your life, with if you weren't doing we marketing, we can't, yeah, we can't say any of this. So you gave us, you right. gave us a, a so cheat anyway, code. anyway,
2: that's, it's like, I, every, I love origin stories. Mine's kind of weird. Like I, my master's is in finance. I never thought I, I used to blow off on my marketing classes. Like I never thought I was going to do any of this. I thought marketing was like dumb <laughs> and uh here I am like many many years later
1: here we are but I mean I feel like your story must have been so cool to tell your kids as they're growing up in this new era of the internet right beyond the AOL days it would be cool to say hey you know my dad did this back when yeah
2: I'll say like I'll send you guys an article later like from the Washington Post about the product like it was like but nobody really believes me. I know we're like way off topic for soccer. No, this is great. We love this. But like it, it's like nobody really believes it. They're like, wait a minute. There was like nobody had like a browser. <laughs> like no.
1: Like we you, believe it. We like were there. You dialed <laughs> in
2: with a modem, and then you like saw these screens.
1: Oh yeah, totally. I was there. I you know waiting for that connection to happen with all those exactly. weird noises and getting yelled at by your parents for taking up the phone line because exactly. you want to go in and exactly. chat yeah
2: so some <laughs> of you guys are taking up the phone line to look at the product that we built
0: <laughs> awesome and we'll see if our editors can can throw in some AOL sounds into this
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes we got AOL or whatever yeah
0: so. so so Charles you have you have a unique you get to have this unique perspective as CMO and I think It gives you insight that those of us who are not at that CMO level on, you know, what does the CMO actually want from the team? And what is the CMO thinking about on a day to day? Maybe you could help us and help some of our listeners understand that, especially now, given that the economy is so rocky and, and, you know, layoffs are happening, like, what does the CMO really want from the team? How can the team and the individual contributors on it and the managers and everyone who's reporting to the CMO, what, what are you really looking for? How can we be better?
2: Yeah. So it's a great question. I know like if I were not a CMO and I were working for me, I would probably wonder what I do (laughs) because like, I'm not, I'm not, as sort of operationally involved with all the programs and stuff that that we run. And the reality is that the CMO job is, is, when done right, is very much a kind of run the business job. So I'm thinking a lot more about how we maximize the valuation of the company, about how we get maximum efficiency, out of our investments, about how we position, about the our our like where we exist in the overall ecosystem and how we differentiate and what our competitors are doing. I think a lot about how I'm aligning with the CRO in terms of what he's trying to do. I think a lot about depending on the on the circumstance investment so you know, are we trying to raise money? Are we trying to acquire something? Are we trying to be acquired? I spend a lot of my time on those kinds of, th- and I'm not talking about Threat Connect, I'm talking about just in general over multiple CMO gigs. I spend a lot more time on those types of things than I do on a lot of uh, marketing things per se. And so for me, it's and and you've you've met Arpine, you know. And you probably know some other people who, who I've worked with in the past. You know, I look for really, really strong operational leaders for their functions who can run, who can run the business if I get pulled into something by the CEO to do, work on a partnership or to work on an investment or whatever it is. And so, like, all roads should not run through the CMO. It's a really, really bad way to be. You know, it was it was interesting. I took a little bit of time off recently as, as you guys know, and I checked in with my two VPs, you know, a couple of times and they're like, Go away. It's fine. We've <laughs> got it. Like there's nothing
1: the internet for him. Yeah,
2: there's nothing there's nothing going on that you need to know about. And that's exactly how I would want it to be. I want to be there to provide feedback and to provide coaching and to help them grow and to provide the overall direction. But I don't want to be involved in every little day-to-day thing. It's one, it's a bottleneck. Two, it's not what I'm best at. And three, it's not what great people want in a manager. Like great people want to just run.
1: Let's double click on the provide direction part. So you are technically sort of that glue that brings in, you know, the direction of the business overall from the leadership team into your team so that it can actually operationalize and become a reality. What's that process like? And what are some, what's some advice that you can give to other CMOs?
2: Yeah. So from a, like, I think, I've been thinking about this a lot recently is CMOs succeed or fail based on alignment. And it's really sort of four dimensions. There's alignment with the CEO and the board. Like is, are you running a marketing function? Are you are you driving a go-to-market function that aligns with the board's wishes and how the CEO wants to run the, run the business? Because you can't exist <laughs> as a successful marketer unless you have that kind of, you're speaking the same voice and you're driving to the same thing. And by the way, you'll never win. If your perspective is different, you'll never win. So just align with them. And the second piece is with the CRO. like. You and that person are so it's so crucial that you share the vision about how you're gonna build revenue and what's most important and what market segments you're gonna target. And you'll have little disagreements here and there, should we do this, should we do that? But you know, I probably talk to the CRO here four or five times a day. And it's it's not that like every conversation is some big thing, but it's like it's like with your spouse, like if you're constantly talking you know, you're not going to fall out of alignment. The third thing is with the market. Like you see a lot of, when you see a marketing effort not really work, oftentimes it's because you're trying to, you know, you're trying to make fetch a thing. You know, you're trying to sell something that the market hasn't said it wants.
0: That's a great reference. (laughs)
2: Let me throw that out. (laughs) Yeah, I like, that's one I like to pull in. And the last thing is resources. So like you see, A lot of times you'll see a CMO who comes in, like a a big company, man or woman, comes in to a small company and they're like, well, here's all the things I want to do. And it's like, well, that's great, but you've got a $2 million budget. So (laughs) rethink that. So, you know, being able to align with the resources you have available, both budget, but also the humans you have. Right. So you come into a company and you might like have a vision. Look, I kind of want to rebuild this team and I want to get different people in. But that's going to take you six months or a year. So making sure that the commitments you're making, again, to the board or to your CRO are aligned with the people and the dollars that you have available, right? And so for me, like the best advice I could give other CMOs is think about those four dimensions, CEO and the board, CRO, resources and market. And make sure that, like, you're, you're making your plans in, align, in alignment with those.
1: What I like about the four pillars, I'm going to call them, that you just mentioned, is that they're actually possible in any size company, any fundraise stage, any type of budget, right? Your team, building a team could be just adding a second marketing hire behind, besides yourself. or uh, But, yeah, I like that. Really, really cool.
2: Absolutely. And, like, you know, this is – I got asked this question, you know, by somebody – some number of weeks ago about like why do CMOs succeed or fail. And so I started thinking and writing about this because like it was a good mental exercise for me. Because I've done everything from like being coming into a company that had zero revenue and growing to 10 or 20 million to coming into a company with 50 million and trying to grow to you know 60, 70, 80 million. And the same kind of analytical framework works in in both scenarios.
1: 100% agree. I think that that should be the uh, the title for this episode, Gianna. Why do CMOs fail or succeed? Oh yes. Why I love CMOs that. And we'll and, reference the article that you're writing, Charles, in. in mm-hmm. that as well. And, we'll, and Charles, if you haven't
0: named your framework yet, may I suggest the golden pillars? Ooh. You can,
2: you can, you can suggest that. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know.
0: And it sounds like golden pillars is maybe a win here. I don't know, you guys. Yeah, I've, a I've also ambiguous. got like
2: another thing I'm working on, which is like Gold's Rules. Oh,
0: Gold's Rules, I love it.
2: Yeah, which I'll send you
0: as well. Awesome.
2: Hi there, my name is Sean Matson, and I head up digital strategy at Checkpoint Software. We use Hushly as our primary <laughs> demand platform. We use it to remove gates, we use it for our landing pages and we use it for our resource hub and it has improved our conversion rate by 5x.
0: As a CMO, where there's all these expectations and all this change happening, what are boards, what are the people who hire CMOs looking for right now?
2: So, I mean, I think there's like one, I'm going to say one thing which is immutable, which is like always, and there's what I think boards seem to be looking for right now. So the immutable piece is they don't want to be bullshitted. Like when you go into the board meeting and you're like, everything is awesome. It's all unicorns and rainbows and we're doing so well. I'm so proud. Like they're going to be like, all right, something's screwed up somewhere. I just now I need to like go. So they'd rather you come in and just go, look, there's some stuff that's going really well. I'm going to tell you about that. But let me tell you where I'm really focused because these things are not going well. Or they could be better or, you know, whatever it is. Or, hey, I haven't quite figured this out, would, have, would really welcome some, some input. And it takes a level of maturity and comfortableness in your own skin and whatever words you want to put to it to be able to do that. And I, I will fully admit, I used to be sunshine and rainbows guy and like tried to spin them. And it it just doesn't work. And it's not healthy, right? That's the immutable is just like, Tell the truth and the whole truth. And obviously, you know, back to the alignment thing, get aligned with your CEO about what you're gonna say. But boards, look, their incentives are generally aligned with yours. Like there's part there's there's ways where they're, there's there they have sort of some different motivations than management does. But in general, you're all trying to make money on equity. And so if you go in and you're telling the partial or full owners of the business something which is a partial truth probably not helpful and and usually comes back to bite you. So that's the immutable piece. The more sort of like of the moment is like, you know, it was, and and this has been played out like lots of places. I don't want to go into too deeply, but is like, it used to be just grow and now it's grow efficiently. Mm. So, you know, it's, you know, how am I maximizing the pipeline generation and the revenue generation from every dollar of marketing spend? And how are sales and marketing working together to ensure that like, you're, you're really driving a reasonable payback period on your, on your sales and marketing investment?
1: Makes a lot of sense. So, Charles, for those CMOs that are building a team, in order to get to, to this efficiency that you just talked about, What would you, in your opinion, what would be the first two most impactful hires? Let's say you're the only one on the team so far coming in as VP, maybe head of marketing, need to build the team.
2: So, and and this is, has always been my view, is that product marketing is your first hire, right? Because, and it's really freaking hard to get someone good, but you gotta, you gotta work on that because the quickest way to piss away marketing program dollars is not to have good positioning, good targeting, good definition of the ICP, good differentiation. All of that stuff comes from good product marketing. So product marketing is the first. And the second thing is hiring. If it's just one person, I only get one. Like I'm going to hire somebody who's really good on the digital side of demand, gen, because I, I really want to build that foundation of efficient, efficient demand generation or demand capture. Mm -hmm. And that all starts with digital. Like the best way to start a company is by having having something that has really good inbound traffic and really good inbound demand gen, because then you're naturally efficient. If you've got to pay for every lead by going to RSA or having some big expensive webinar that you do with a publication or whatever, you're not going to be as efficient because those things cost a lot of money.
1: That's true. That makes sense because you have a good flow of inbounds that gives you enough time and a little bit of creative freedom to spend on other non traditional channels. Exactly
2: that exactly right, a Like that yeah. to me, like the inbound is your foundation. And then you build on top of that with paid digital. And then you build on top of that with things like conferences and, you know, whatever, other expensive stuff. And then I would say that you didn't ask me this, but it's a bonus answer. Like, as you're building the team, like early on, get somebody who's freaking killer at Marketing Ops.
1: Oh, thank God you said that. You you. did it. You
0: (laughs) did it, Charles. You, you, Maria's like favorite thing.
1: Yeah. Thank God you said that. I mean, you're seriously, just write a CMO Bible and (laughs) please make that chapter one because it really is an afterthought, and then when it's an afterthought, it's a hot ass mess. Forget it. It's
2: ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So, like, I not only like to hire a strong marketing ops person, I like my head of demand gen to be a strong ops person.
1: Yeah, yeah, and naturally, sometimes, most of the time, you do find that. Most of the time, you do find demand gen folks come either coming from marketing ops or just understanding what it takes to build that backend infrastructure. Yeah.
2: With my current head demand gen, I probably interviewed thirty people, and like the thing I was looking for is somebody who was really, really strong in ops, because I knew that that's I know that that's the way you build a strong demand gen foundation is with somebody whose mind works that way. Like you'll notice, Gianna, like when she and I are on a call, like I let her do most of the talking because she's dialed in on all the details.
0: Oh yeah, Arpine is fabulous. So tell us. Tell us more then about your hiring process, Charles, because 30 interviews is a lot. Like most CMO, most anybody would not do 30 interviews. They would just pick someone. They'd be like, I did 10. It's going to be one of these people. Right. So like what compels you to, to, and how do you find the best people? Cause that's, that's a skill too.
2: So I started recruiting for her as soon as I accepted the job. So like before I'd quit my last job, I was already recruiting for that.
0: How did you know that you needed this, this position?
2: I, you know, I did, I did my due diligence. I knew what the team needed to look like. And I knew that that was the first key hire or one of the first two key hires. I was also concurrently recruited for product marketing. There's a couple pieces. First off, I will always go to my network. And, you know, if I don't know somebody, I will ask the people I know who know lots of people, who do you know for this? Because you have the highest chance of getting somebody who's really good and not crazy by doing that. And then I go to, you know, the trusted communities I'm a part of, like, you know, Cyber Marketing Society is an amazing community for finding the best talent. Right. And then within that community, you know, you're getting people to understand cyber because that's why they're a part of it. And cyber is different. You ideally want to get people who've been in that market, understand that market and the personas and the conferences and all the things. So, you know, it's really those two things. I sometimes use recruiters. I've got some that I really trust. But, you know, oftentimes, particularly these days, there's no money for recruiters. So, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to kind of be scrappy and go through your network and go through the communities. I'll obviously post a job in all the places, but a lot of that is just noise that comes through and you've got to filter through it. But in terms of my process, like, I really like to get to know the human being. So, you know, I'll do a lot of screening calls, but once I get serious about a person, like, ideally i'd like to be able to get together with them for lunch or dinner you know plenty of calls where you just sort of talk about things because you want to understand how the person thinks and you and you want to understand that compatibility right because you know as a cmo you're relying on that person for a large part of your success like you want to make sure that there's somebody that you want to trust and somebody you want to spend time with
1: that's so true it's like marriage right you, you made an, a a reference to marriage earlier.
2: This, it feels is. Like,
1: this feels like you know that matchmaking process for a
2: lifetime it, it, it relationship. It totally, it totally is. It totally is. And at the time, at least when I was starting this company, the market was a little bit more crazy. Now I'm sure there's you know scads of candidates out there looking for for things. But you know, at the time, it was very go go. And I know that I know that for instance, the person that I hired had multiple offers. Wow,
0: amazing. That's awesome. What? Congratulations. I know you hired her a while ago, but that's just still such a great story. (laughs) And we know how much she's a treasure. So. Yeah, for sure. And now for another content tip from our partner, Content Workshop. David, what do you say to people who think that storytelling in cybersecurity is too hard to do?
2: I tell them that storytelling is industry agnostic. Humans are biologically hardwired to think, remember, and relate in the form of story. It's why we're able to binge a new show for eight hours a night. It's also why the best commercials don't feel like commercials. A good story, they say, in advertising is truth well told. No matter your industry, service, or product, there are endless ways to tell your story. All you need is a hero, a goal, and an obstacle. And we help cybersecurity companies achieve that.
0: Thanks, David. Learn more about Content Workshop storytelling services for cybersecurity companies at contentworkshop.com.
1: Is it time for our game?
0: Is it? I think it is. I think so. It's going to be uh, hard, a game. It is going to be hard. It's going to be tough. All right. so, Actually, it's yeah. not going to be tough. It's going to be easy, and I'm going to win.
1: All right. All right. Manifest that. There you go, girl. There you All go. Right. All right. What's the game? <laughs>
0: All right, Charles. So what we do is on every call, we guess what you'd be doing if you were not in cybersecurity marketing. And then we also cannot choose any of your previous careers. So we can't say that you're an entrepreneur. We can't say that you're a technical person. We can't say that you work in finance and we can't say that you're a marketer.
2: So we have there to is no chance you're going to get this right. I mean, zero.
0: Really? Okay. Zero. It's going to be zany. All right. I'm going to go first, and I have won, I think, exactly two this year. And, Maria, one of them was the Halloween episode that I won because you weren't there. So, Wait a minute. Can I win? You're a winner regardless, Charles. You're You're our guest, but you have to choose, basically, which of us win. So we'll both go, and then you choose which are right, and then you say what you would actually
2: be doing. All right. Let's do it. Go.
0: All right. So Charles, I really want to say something about being a rock star because I feel, oh, I saw an eyebrow. I saw an eyebrow go up. I want to say like musician because you're multi-talented and you know, you're know, you like a great speaker, a great orator, like a great person. You're like great with people. You can lead a team. Maybe you could lead a band, maybe like a marching band or like a rock band. Eyebrows are going down. I'm going to say musician, Maria.
1: All right. Charles, I think that you would actually be in the restaurant business. I think you've, you, you know how to build a business, right, your own, but then you also know how to scale other businesses right across your experience. And if you manage a team and the chaos that is cybersecurity marketing, you can manage a restaurant with the chaos that goes on in the front end and the back in the kitchen. So you would be a restauranteur.
2: Okay. And I get to pick who wins?
1: Yeah, yeah, who wins or who was closest or,
2: you know. Right. And and Gianna, how many times have you won, you said? This year, and yeah. it is
1: November, twice. <laughs>
2: twice. And Maria, how many times have you won?
1: I won all the other times, and we do a couple okay. of episodes a yeah, week. Yeah, we do, well, we well, do and, two
2: recordings a week, Charles, right, basically. So, so, so Maria, Maria.
0: Oh, so, gosh darn it. Your record just got better. <laughs> oh, i am so bad at this this year? I won last, no, we tied last year actually.
1: Yeah, we did tie. We we were head to head. So tell us more, the restaurant life. I
2: could not hold a tune if it had a handle on it. Like, I'm just like, not, I love music. I love listening to it. My youngest son's a musician. I'm not. I love to cook. I love to cook. Um, In fact, I really love barbecue. In fact, like a while ago, I started smoking cashews and almonds and I actually went down the path of selling them. Like I actually have like a, a brand.
1: Whoa, Chuck's <laughs> So that
2: that wow. was a, that was a thing. I've turned it. You can't really make any real money at it, but I like went down the path. I talked to Whole Foods. Like I did the whole thing. So like I don't know about a restaurant. It's a little zany for me, but something to do with food. I love I love preparing things and like making people happy with food. So
1: love you, that. Maria, awesome.
2: are closest.
1: Yay. I thought you were going to say Mediterranean cuisine since you recently did the Mediterranean oh, I did. trip. I not uh, eating
2: Mediterranean cuisine, for sure.
1: That's awesome. All right. Well, if you uh, have a future venture in food, hit me up. That's also a passion of mine. All
2: right. Cool. Yeah. Maybe Maybe one day. Yeah. Like if I could open up like, you know, Chuck's Nut Shack, I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs>
0: Look at us. We we talk about marketing and cybersecurity and we also do deal making here on the yeah. show. Here yeah, we go. Yeah.
1: It's all about your <laughs> network, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. So my second guess would be Zookeeper. And I also feel like that's wrong. So Charles, tell us what would you actually be doing?
2: So like there's two things. Like I, I really would love to start some kind of like craft food business kind of thing. Cause I do think that's like it's wholesome and it's tangible and it's real, but if it wasn't that, I'd probably be a writer. Oh, I love I love to write. I love commun I love everything about communications. I love figuring out how to be persuasive. I love figuring out like how to say something in the right way. I love reading really well crafted words. So those are, those are my tip.
1: Triple threat CMO. Not, a, not only is he technical, he can also write. Wow, I,
2: I do. I am like a little bit of a writing snob
1: oh okay who are your favorite writers
0: charles oh jeez. or just some books or like anything you recommend
2: <sighs> like lately i've been reading such trash like i don't even want to admit it
0: that's all my tv habits now it's all like 90 day fiance and garbage i yeah, don't watch yeah, anything I like, with any I like, critical acclaim
2: <laughs> i like brought serious books on vacation on my kindle and i read like six trashy detective books and a bunch of chick lit much to my wife's chagrin <laughs>
1: well charles thank you so so much this episode was was packed packed with so many insights i hope our listeners are, are having as much fun as we did having you on the show thank you again for taking the time off of your crazy cmo day to make time to chat with us my pleasure and for our listeners thanks for tuning in as you know there's a new episode that drops every wednesday Although we are coming to the end of the year and we might slow down to make room for Cyber Marketing Con. Gianna, you want to tell everyone when when that's happening?
0: Oh, my gosh. You must come to Cyber Marketing Con. And if you missed it, if you're listening to this episode and it's like, oh, no, it's 2027. And I'm listening to old episodes of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. Just know that there's also a virtual ticket for those who can't attend in person. Cyber Marketing Con will be held December 10th through 13th in Austin, Texas. And guess what, Charles? Guess what's part of our outing?
2: Is there a barbecue? Yes. Sweet.
0: It is. We are taking a bus and we are going to Terry Black's Barbecue. Sweet. Which is I a super, love me some
2: Austin barbecue.
0: Yes. A super famous, legitimate barbecue place in Austin. We hope to see you there at CyberMarketingCon listeners.